Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is a podcast for sustainable fashion conversations. Whether you're a consumer or a sustainable fashion brand owner, we have a lot of resources just for you. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and I promise to support you and equip you with the knowledge to help right the harmful fashion industry. Without any further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to Recloseted Radio. I know we usually talk about fashion, fashion sustainability, and sustainability in general on this podcast, but this week I thought we would switch gears and really talk about how we can support and better be allies to the Black community. We have a platform, which is this podcast, and we want to make sure we use it to spread good and spread important messages. And you may have seen on social media and on the news, but people have been really talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and how we can become better allies to the Black community and also to the Indigenous communities. And I think it's such an important discussion to have, which is why I'm bringing it to our podcast, even though it's not directly related to fashion, but I still think it's so important to discuss and talk about. I am still in the process of unlearning and now learning new things to kind of replace the things I'm unlearning. So I'm still in my journey. However, I'm fortunate enough to have someone in my network who I know that is such an expert, and her name is Cicely Blaine. Cicely is the founder of Cicely Blaine Consulting, and they're a diversity and inclusion consulting firm. They're committed to making organizations more inclusive, more diverse, and more equal. I could not be more excited to interview Cicely today, and without any further ado, let's dive into this interview. Awesome. Well, welcome to Recloseted Radio, Cicely. I'm so glad to have you on, and I'm really, really excited to ask you some questions. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And to get started, for folks that maybe don't know who you are, do you mind giving a quick introduction about your background and how you got started to starting your own consulting firm? So my name is Cicely Bell Blaine. I am a equity, inclusion, and justice consultant. I'm originally from the UK, and I've been living on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations for the past eight years. And yeah, I kind of started out as an activist. I was one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter Vancouver and then started working in the nonprofit world, supporting LGBTQ youth. And the combination of those two passions of mine sort of came together in my business. And it's been, I think, two and a half years now of, of doing consulting. And yeah, it's been great. Yeah. And can you share what spurred you to start your consulting agency? Was it something you've always thought that you would do? Or did you have an aha moment that really spurred you to start? Yeah, it was definitely a bit of an aha moment. Like I had no idea that this is what I would be doing. I had worked in a variety of different workplaces and knew that there was something missing. Like I kept seeing the same patterns of like people feeling disrespected, people being mistreated, issues of racism and homophobia that really needed to be addressed. And I was not really seeing tangible ways to change those things, especially coming from, you know, a more like social justice rooted activist based background. And so I really wanted to be that person. I wanted to give people the tools and the skills to be able to improve workplaces for folks, especially for marginalized folks. And also I was tired of working like a nine to five. I knew that I really wanted to start my own business. 
and it kind of all just came to me. I took a bit of a break from Vancouver and went back to live with my parents and um, yeah, really reflect on what I wanted to do with my life and my career. And this idea kind of just all came to me at once. And yeah, I, I don't think I could ever go back to working like a quote unquote normal job because just the freedom and, and the flexibility that comes with the work that I get to do is something that I, I really value. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. And I know your business, Sicily Blaine Consulting, is really dedicated to making organizations more inclusive, more diverse, and more equal. And so I would love for you to talk about what your services look like and how you make this happen for organizations. Yeah, we offer a variety of services. The majority kind of comes in the form of workshops, like training is a really important part of what we do just to kind of give people the tools and the skills to be able to address discrimination and harassment and injustice within their workplace. But we also do a variety of other things like auditing. So the auditing process is really important to kind of get a sense of what's going on in the workplace. How do people feel? Do they feel a sense of inclusion? Do they feel a sense of belonging? And that then helps us to support the organization to move forward from that. Like typically what we would recommend is training and policy development, which is another huge piece of what we do. You know, program redesign that allows for greater diversity in their programming. So it's kind of a way to analyze an organization from a diversity and inclusion lens. And then that gives people the tools to move forward and really address the issues that might be going on in the workplace. And, you know, we really think it's important to approach diversity and inclusion from like a multifaceted lens because you can't just like focus on one issue it's really important to focus on a multitude of issues and also you know look at the organization from different lenses as well yeah i love that and to structure this podcast episode i thought i would ask the business slash company related questions toward the end and then kick things off selfishly with just the questions i had about how we as everyday people and individuals can do our part So I'm going to ask kind of more of the individual, everyday folk type questions first, and then we'll get into the business questions. And for my first question, really, I'm just curious about resources you recommend. So books, podcasts, documentaries, anything of that sort, because I'm currently in the process of unlearning and now trying to figure out what kind of resources I should be intentionally consuming. So I would love for you to share if you had any favorites. I listen to a great podcast called Code Switch, which is a great way for people to kind of learn about lived experience. And I also listen to a podcast called Keith Taras, which is, if you are a French speaker, is also an amazing resource for learning about race and racism in French. And I actually really enjoy learning about issues and learning about people's experiences through fiction, because oftentimes you're kind of able to immerse yourself into somebody's world. And especially if the book is written by an author who they're writing about their experience, even if it's fiction, sometimes I find that a more accessible way to get involved. So in that regard, I would really recommend um, a book that I just finished called Girl, Woman, Other by um, Bernadine Evaristo. It's so incredible. It's a kind of anthology of short stories about black women and black non-binary people and their experiences so even though the characters are made up I resonated so much with so many of the characters so anyone reading that can truly understand someone's experience. I recommend folks I think social media is an amazing platform trying to follow folks some of the folks that I follow Blair Imani is one of my favorites Erica Hart 
Rachel Cargill, Rachel Ricketts, um, some really incredible people who are providing content for free on social media that folks can access. And I think that's a really like great starting point to just like diversify your feed, diversify who you follow, diversify the books that you read. And I think that will really just help people to open their minds a bit more because, you know, one of the issues with our education system is that, you know, we grow up reading a very specific narrative. You know, we grow up reading Shakespeare and Christmas Carol and things like that we don't really get to hear diverse voices so that's something we have to do as adults is diversify the content that we consume and then from there I think things flow more naturally you know once you start putting those books on your bookshelf and you start listening to those podcasts and you start following those people your horizons will really be expanded and you'll be exposed to so much more amazing content. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all of those resources. I think it'll be really helpful for folks to dig in. And I wanted to talk about mental health with you as well, because it's been something I've noticed on my journey. Like I'm quite early into my journey, I would say. I'm still unlearning and learning and trying to educate myself, but I'm at the same time trying to drink from the fire hose and being a little bit overwhelmed and then feeling like it's privileged to be overwhelmed and take a break and take a pause. But I think where I've finally landed is just the fact that I know that this is something that I want to integrate into my life long term. This isn't something that I'm going to do for two weeks and then forget about it. So because of that, it's a marathon and not a sprint. So I try to remind myself that I need to pace myself and not burn out. And that's the best way I can take care of myself so that I can fully be the best ally I can, for example. But I do know that mental health can be something that comes up for people, especially when they're just getting into activism or just getting into becoming passionate and researching about a topic. So I'm wondering if you have any tips uh, because you've been doing this a lot longer than I have and if you have any wisdoms to share when it comes to mental health. Mm, yeah, it's so real. Like burnout is such a huge issue among activists and, and people who are passionate about causes of injustice, you know, especially if you yourself are also experiencing those injustices while advocating for change. Um, that obviously exacerbates your experience of burnout and, and can really impact mental health. I've never really been good at self-care and something that I've tried to do um, over the past couple of years, like recognizing that a lot of the activism I was doing was really burning me out and was really beginning to take a toll on my, on me and my mental health and therefore my physical health as well. I think it started with reframing the narrative around what I wanted to change. I was very active and passionate as a teenager and I was like, I'm going to change the world, I'm going to change the whole system, I'm going to change everything in society. And I just always felt so angry and so demoralized because I wasn't really making a difference because I couldn't, like there's no way you can change everything. And I think as soon as I started to reframe what I was interested in changing, like, oh, I'm interested in changing one person's mind or I'm interested in expanding one person's horizons or I'm interested in changing the language on one website or whatever it is, like these small pieces help me to see tangible change that I was making. And that's much easier for me now in the work that I do because I work with clients and I'm able to walk them through a process and see the outcomes. But for folks who you know, are not working with clients but are trying to do activism in different ways, I think not to lose sight of the end goal or not to you know, diminish those big dreams of change, but I think 
to reframe what's feasible in one person's day, in one person's lifetime, and recognize that there's so many people doing this work. And I think especially right now in summer 2020, where we're really seeing that change can happen when hundreds of thousands, even millions of people catalyze around an issue. Things that black activists have been advocating for, for, for decades even are now starting to change. You know, cities announcing that they are defunding the police or, you know, police are being removed from pride or whatever it is. And that's because of so much hard work of many individuals, not one person doing it by themselves. So I think remembering to do the small things as well as the big things and also um, staying in touch with community is really important and also finding joy through activism as well. Like in the activist work that I've done, I've met some of my best friends, you know, my chosen family, people who will be my friends for life, whether or not we're organizing together and just finding time to chill and share a meal, smoke some weed, whatever it is with those people, and not just always be organizing, I think has really improved my mental health and my capacity to still do this work long term. Yeah, I love that. And and I really resonate with the fact that you say, think about the end goal, and then also how you talked about how so many people now are banding together. And I really do think there's strength in numbers. And sometimes it can feel like it's all on the weight of your shoulders. And it can also feel like at the same time that you can't really change things. But if everyone just kind of did a little bit and their own part, I feel like the collective can have such a big impact, which is what we're seeing now. So yeah, I think just remembering that can definitely be helpful. And then, of course, taking breaks like you talked about. So that's great. Thanks for sharing. And another question I had for you was around language. So I've been researching and learning about the best terms to use. And I would love to get your thoughts on how we can stay up to date and how we can make sure that we're saying the right things. As an example, I've learned that POC or people of color is not the best term to be using when addressing the black community because they kind of get lumped into the whole mix and it's really important to call them out specifically. So yeah, just things like that. I would love for you to share how we can stay on top of verbiage and how we can make sure we're saying the right things. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, language is so tricky and it's always changing. And I think my number one piece of advice is to just always be vigilant about language, like always keeping up to date with like what's the most appropriate language that the community is using and just accepting the fact that it will change. And then I think, you know, especially when it comes to the black community, I know that folks are often lean towards using terms like people of color. But the problem is with that language. In a broad sense, it makes sense, but when we're specifically talking about the Black community, we need to be specific and we need to say Black because Black folks are experiencing very specific types of racism and anti-Blackness. Same with Indigenous communities, you know, you have to specifically say which community you're talking about because if we just say people of color, there's lots of different experiences and actually other people of color can be complicit in the impression of other groups of color, if that kind of makes sense. So you can have anti-Blackness within Asian communities or anti-Blackness within Indigenous communities or anti-Indigenous racism within Black communities. So it's important that we are specific about what we're talking about so that we can specifically address those issues and we can specifically hear the voices in that community. And it's always important to recognize that there is also, you know, a socially constructed hierarchy of race 
whereby Black and Indigenous folks are often placed at the bottom of that socially constructed hierarchy. So once Black liberation and Indigenous liberation has been achieved, whenever that may be, everybody will benefit from it, right? So that's why it's really important for Latinx folks and Asian folks and and other folks of color to also be advocating for Black Lives Matter and other Black liberation movements. But yeah, you know, language is, is such a tricky thing, especially the English language. It doesn't necessarily cover everything that we need it to cover. But I think, yeah, it can be a powerful tool if we just stay vigilant and we stay in tune with what the community is using. Yeah, you put it so eloquently. At the end of the day, we need to make sure we're identifying exactly who we want to help and who we're talking about. And so it's really important to pick the right language that's specific enough because I don't want to blend everyone or someone in with everyone else, for example. I want to make sure that I'm specifically addressing them and we're not just washing over their experiences to your point. So yeah, I think it's so important. Okay, so switching gears a little bit now, let's talk about companies and businesses. I think there's such a big opportunity here because obviously companies employ a lot of people and then they also have customers as well. So they touch a lot of people. So there's a big opportunity for change here. I thought it might be fun to ask you what you think a truly diverse organization looks like. Ooh, that's a hard question. I guess, yeah, I mean, diversity is such a tricky thing and there's lots of different approaches. I know in America, it's much more common um, to focus on the idea of quotas. To, so to say, you know, by the end of the year, we need like 20% of leadership to be women or 20% of leadership to be people of color. And I think that works in some cases. In Canada, it's less common to speak about things in terms of quotas. It's more just a general effort towards diversity. But the goal really is not just diversity, because I don't think diversity especially here in Vancouver, you know, it's a pretty diverse city as are many major cities. So the diversity part is kind of natural. Um, But the issue is really the access barrier. So even though the city might be diverse, what we're not seeing is diversity at higher levels. So we're not seeing diversity at leadership levels. And so lots of companies might be like, yeah, we're diverse. But then when you actually investigate, you see, you know, the people of color are the lowest paid people or the people of color are the ones working in the front lines or in the factories or whatever it is. We're not seeing people of color represented in the boardroom or, you know, in the in the C-suite executive level. I don't think there's like a perfect way that diversity can exist, but I would like to see greater diversity in leadership positions because there's just so much evidence out there around how beneficial diversity is to um, companies, whether they care about profit or optics or whatever it is they care about, like diversity improves a company overall. But it, of course, must be coupled with inclusion efforts as well, because otherwise you might hire more um, people from diverse backgrounds but if those people then arrive at the job and don't feel included or respected then you still have an issue right and that leads to very high turnover um, of people from marginalized backgrounds so yeah it's, it's a it's a really complex thing and unfortunately there's not like a hard and fast answer but I do think there needs to be a lot more drive to uplift marginalized folks within organizations and and not just people of color, LGBTQ folks, women, um, folks with disabilities, folks who are just typically not represented in leadership positions. Um, There needs to be an effort to provide mentorship, 
to provide training so that those folks are able to get to higher levels within the organization. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Even if you look at the Fortune 500 list, a large majority of their CEO and even their C-suite consists of white males, which is fine. But then when your customer base is not just all white males, then you need to question why people in leadership positions and people in power aren't more representative of their customer base. So I do think there's a huge opportunity to bring up people of diverse backgrounds, diverse thoughts into leadership positions to better represent the market. And speaking of quotas, I wanted to get your opinion on what you thought about quotas and tokenism in general. It's something I'm struggling with as a business owner because on one hand, I 100% support diversity and I want to make sure I'm hiring diverse backgrounds, diverse thoughts, all that stuff. And then if I'm having events, I also have diversity in the panels and the attendees and the speakers, all that jazz. But then I also am empathetic to the person on the other end too, because I never want someone to feel like they got hired because of their ethnicity. I also don't want someone to show up at an event that they've been asked to speak at and be like, oh, I'm the token black person or I'm the token Latina or I'm the token Asian. So I'm just wondering how businesses can go about this. Do you think quotas and tokenism is okay? Or do you think there's a better way to approach Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely complicated because, yeah, I think the element of, of tokenism is unfortunately a um, inherent part of a diversification process. Like, I think we just sort of do have to go through the muddy waters of tokenism before we reach greater diversity. And, and I think for a lot of folks of color, that is just their experience. And I think they're ready for that. I think a lot of the tokenism actually more occurs with once that person is within the organization. So I think a lot of folks, you know, if you go to a job interview and you might be hired in a tokenistic way, but I think that's less problematic than some of the things that happen to people once they've been hired. So for example, I remember at a, a workplace that I used to work at, um, I often felt tokenized because I was the only black person that worked there. And when I was also involved in in Black Lives Matter at the time, and I really wanted the organization to support Black Lives Matter, um, but I would always be shut down or told, like, you know, we can't support this movement or whatever. But then when it came to Black History Month, suddenly they wanted me to, like, you know, write blog posts or, like, talks with the rest of the organization on Black history. So that felt very tokenizing in the sense that even though that wasn't in my job description, I was being asked to do additional labor that I wasn't ever compensated for in order to educate everybody else in the organization about the Black experience, even though I had been advocating that folks could actually just you know, follow or support Black Lives Matter to learn about those things. Um, so I think that's where the issue of tokenism really occurs is more internally. And I think, yeah, as I say, I think a lot of folks of color are sort of unfortunately just like ready for to be tokenized in hiring and I think sometimes that's necessary you know I I actually think it's okay for an organization who's really done their work and who's really done you know anti-oppression training and really changed their policies and has a really good workplace culture I think it's okay for them to seek out more diverse candidates and specifically say that that's what they're looking for Obviously, I wouldn't recommend that to everyone. Like, I wouldn't recommend that to an organization who, like, I don't feel has done any anti-racism training or, like, hasn't done any work to actually make that a safe environment for that person. But I think, yeah, the issue then comes with, is that person just treated as a regular person or are they, you know, 
pinpointed for their identity? Are they expected to do additional work or, you know, help their colleagues to understand their experience? Or are they used, like, I remember in my high school, I was um, involved in like a photo shoot for the school website. And it was like, they basically intentionally picked like one black person, one Asian person, one Latinx person, one white person. And it felt very tokenistic um, and not and not genuine so I think yeah there's again very difficult to to lock down a specific answer but I think it's more in the treatment of those folks than the than the hiring yeah you said the word genuine and I really resonated with that because I do think if a company has pure intentions and they do want to do their part then I think it might be okay. They obviously have to execute compassionately and empathetically but yeah I think that would be okay And hopefully one day we get to a point where tokenism isn't a thing anymore and quotas are no longer needed because it's just business as usual. You just hire uh, diversity because. But yeah, until then, I guess we do have to start somewhere. And I'm sorry to hear that was your experience at that company. If there's other people in similar positions, what advice would you have for them where their company is kind of asking them to do all these things because of their ethnicity and they're not being compensated and they're kind of in that sticky situation? Yeah, I think for folks who are experiencing that, the thing that I learned is just the ability to advocate for myself, to set boundaries Uh, I mean, it sucks that people have to do that work because it's really the responsibility of the employer to not shitty, but, um, you know, empower, like self-empowerment tools to be able to um, set a boundary. And, you know, I like sometimes I even actually brought up my job description and I was like, I don't see this anywhere in my job description and I'm not being paid enough to do anything except what's written here that's quite um, a bold thing to do. So not everybody finds that accessible, but I would say everybody has the right to decline doing things that aren't in their job description. And I think also another way to feel supported is to build community, especially if you work in a bigger organization, it's helpful to build community with other folks who are like you. Something that's really common with a lot of organizations now is ERG, so employee resource groups which I think act as safe spaces for people who have similar identities to come together and utilize that time to discuss or debrief or rant and rave about their experience in the organization. And I think that's something that's really helpful to advocate for is to maybe find people who have a similar experience to you um, and ask them if they want to set up an ERG in the workplace, because it's it's a way that you can use your paid work time to come together with folks who who share your experience and can maybe you can advocate for one another. Yeah, finding allies in the workplace is also really important. And um, yeah, if you are asked to do these sort of additional pieces of work, making sure that either, you know, referring somebody else in the community. So a lot of folks, I get a lot of black folks contacting me and saying, hey, I'm being expected to do this work, but I don't actually have the skills to do it. Um, you know, can I recommend you to my to my boss, for example? So reaching out to the community and seeing who can provide those resources so that whoever works in the workplace doesn't have to do it. Yes, I love that. I think boundaries are very important, like you talked about. And as you were saying, like bring up your job description and you were saying it was bold. I was like clapping in the background. <laughs> I was like, yes, you should do that. Because yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you need to make sure that 
you feel comfortable doing it. You are also compensated for your time and effort to your point. And then if you also don't feel comfortable or qualified, then you should kind of try to help them find someone else. I think that's a really good way to do it. And I also wanted to chat with you about hiring. As I'm going through this process of unlearning, I am realizing that there's so many subconscious and conscious biases that I have spent decades building. And I'm not going to have all these biases disappear tomorrow. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. But do you have any advice, you know, as I'm hiring or anyone else in another company's hiring, how can we really take note of the biases that we may have and make sure that we're giving everyone a fair and equitable chance when it comes to the HR process? Yeah, erasing subconscious beliefs is very challenging i would say one of the greatest challenges of of being a human being and i think there's a lot of misconception about bias in like the corporate world there's kind of this assumption that you can just have like a one hour unconscious bias training session and then all your biases are gone unfortunately our brains don't work like that and we have been programmed from a very young age to believe certain things you know we are inundated with messages from the media from our parents from textbooks from our teachers about other people, about how we should behave, how we should treat others. And not all of those things are right. And it takes lifelong work to really unpack those biases. So I think, yes, training is important, but I think it's it's long-term intentional work. So if there is training, you know, it needs to be like every few months, for example, or there needs to be reading resources. And I think there's not really any specific activities that can train somebody out of a biased way of thinking that they have. It's more that if people, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, if people diversify their access to information, eventually they will retrain the neural pathways that have given them that bias. So for example, as I said, if we grow up only reading books by white authors, for example, like every time I read a book, before I know the race of the character, I always automatically assume the character is white. Like that's just an unconscious like bias that's happening in my brain because, you know, white people are overrepresented in literature and in movies and so on. And then I have to check myself and say, you know, I'm reading a book by a black author. Um, I know the book's content, probably the character's not black or a book where, you know, the character's race is ambiguous. I can choose to imagine them as a person of color if I want. And that's kind of one reprogramming thing that you kind of have to do. But as you can see, it's very personal and it's very intentional and it really requires the individual to care and to do the work. Yeah, it's it's tricky because I think we think of bias as something that we can easily train out of ourselves, but but it's it's so much more than that. I love that you talk about intention. And the example with the book is really great too because it just illustrates how you can take little steps to intentionally shift what you usually think about and then that rewiring can happen, which to your point is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take probably years and years for us to drop these biases because it you know took years and years and decades for it to build so it's not going to happen overnight either so that's just a really good way to look at it and another thing that's been really heartbreaking for me to learn is that there's a lot of companies out there that use black vernacular or black culture in their marketing and their copy to really make more sales and to get more customers And as a marketer, it's been really heartbreaking for me to see that and learn about it. 
And so for companies that are doing that, are there any recommendations you have on how they can course correct and really fix it? I mean, I, I would say more than any other culture, like black culture is so overconsumed and often confused with mainstream American culture. But actually, you know, yeah, that ignores the origins of, of a lot of those phrases and, and terms. Folks really need to, I think doing the research is great. Listening to black activists is great. If you're unsure about a word or like it feels slightly weird rolling off your tongue, then I would suggest kind of looking at the etymology or the origins of that. So many things that we don't realize actually are like hidden with racist meanings or ableist meanings. You know, a lot of the language we use is really ableist. It's hard to, it's hard to know because of course you just like use words and it's not very common to like go Google a word you just used. Um, but I think if you stay in tune with, you know, what activists are saying, what young folks are saying, you begin to change your vernacular and change how you're talking so that it's not harmful to anyone. It's definitely difficult. And I just think it's really important for people to know those origins because it's not just language, you know, it's not just words. It has so much more depth than that. When you think about a lot of the words, especially words that come from black culture are coming from a specific place of like historical oppression and struggle and a desire for freedom. So it's not just a word in the way that other words are words, there's, there's depth there. So I think that's why it's really important for folks to look up some of those origins or, you know, if somebody tells you or calls you out and says, hey, um, you know, that word actually is from black culture. Instead of being defensive, I think folks could just do their research and yeah, and take that on board. Yeah, educating yourself is so important and making sure that you are a little bit curious, right? I know it's not usual for you to look up the origin of a word but if it's something to your point that you haven't heard before or doesn't come off the tongue naturally then maybe look into it and see where it's coming from and for companies that were using black vernacular or just capitalizing off of black culture how do you think they should go about it moving forward do you think they should issue an apology or do you think they should just course correct and kind of not talk about it how do you think they should really execute kind of have mixed feelings because I've never really seen an apology that actually felt genuine or you know that people actually appreciated it all just kind of feels like lip service so I know that puts companies in kind of like this awkward position it's kind of like damned if you do damned if you don't definitely moving away from utilizing that language and I think I well I guess the, the helpfulness of an apology is that it educates people who maybe previously didn't understand that it was problematic or like don't understand why the language has changed yeah it helps to educate a wider audience if the company like comes out and says hey we did this thing and then black activists you know called us in and said xyz then I think it serves that purpose, but the actual apology itself, like I don't, I don't know anyone who's ever been like, yeah, that was a great apology from that like multinational corporation. You bring up a good point though. I think it doesn't necessarily have to be an apology to your point, but so long as they say something and they make some sort of announcement, it could be really educational and raise some awareness amongst their community. So it could do some good in that regard as well. I also do think it might be kind of strange to all of a sudden do a 180 or a 360 on your tone or on your marketing. So it might just be nice to do some sort of announcement or apology. 
and at the very least try like I know it's kind of a bit of the damn if you do damn if you don't like you were talking about but you should try and then learn from your mistakes and in the last two weeks it's been interesting to see what's been happening in terms of some companies and some individuals because we are in the day and age of cancel culture which I don't necessarily condone cancel culture because I do think that it can be really intense and very extreme. That being said, there's been some folks where I do think it kind of has been warranted for them to be quote unquote canceled. But, you know, regardless, in this situation for companies, what do you think they should be doing? Do you think they should be speaking out? Do you think that they should be educating their supporters? What do you think that companies can do and what does good look like? companies should say things. I think especially in this current moment, we're really seeing any company that doesn't come out with a statement or like reference something or mention that they are following and listening. Like it's so glaringly obvious that they don't care. Like I think that silence really speaks volumes. However, I think it really, really has to be followed up with clear, actionable ways that they're doing something. In the last few weeks, we saw people just posting a black square, but then nothing else. And then they just go back to posting what they were posting before. That is where things start to fall short. Like, it, yeah, okay, it's great. You're listening. You've seen the conversation. But then what? You know, I think folks, especially Black folks right now, are really looking for follow-up. Like, I think, you know, I was reading some research about, you know, millennials and how millennials engage with consumption. And millennials are the most likely to buy or not buy a product based on that company's political stance more than any other generation. So I think if companies are trying to continue to engage, young folks especially, it has to be deeper than just a black square or just a statement. My thought is always, okay, so you've posted this solidarity statement with Black Lives Matter Vancouver or whatever city, but how do Black folks who work for you actually feel about working for you? Do they experience racism in the workplace? In which case, your statement means nothing, right? So I think it's good to see people speaking out because they have such a big platform and they're able to, they're able to draw attention to this issue. But I think it's also important for especially big companies to recognize that they for the majority don't know what they're talking about like they should use their platform to defer to black activists you know one example was like i saw that selena gomez let kimberly crenshaw use her platform because she you know has one of the highest number of followers on on instagram so just kind of like knowing what you can say and then utilizing your platform to educate others i think is really crucial and yeah, what you were mentioning about cancel culture, it's, yeah, it's a complex space. Like, I don't necessarily agree that it works. I think, yeah, there's some things where you're like, okay, that is so wrong. Like, I cannot support you anymore. But I think that's more of an individual choice, like kind of like a boycott. I don't know if it's necessary for everyone to cancel or boycott something. I think that's more of a personal decision. I think cancel culture, when it comes to individuals, can be really harmful because it doesn't allow folks to learn and grow when it comes to you know companies like I think it's fine to say you know I'm not going to buy this product anymore or like whatever but yeah when it comes to individuals canceling them kind of means that they're then they don't have an opportunity to grow or learn because they've been pushed out of the space mm -hmm. and I think cancel culture is such a spectrum it can definitely get really extreme and really intense. And to your point, when it 
gets to the individual level, I sometimes often think that it almost looks like cyberbullying and it really gets away from the issue or the point of the original, like what happened. It really just becomes very personal and very targeted towards the individual and not really about the issue or what's going on. And I think a lot of us just need to remember to treat everyone with compassion and love and kindness. And even if someone does mess up, then just telling them about how they can do better next time and making it more about the issue versus them as a person. Because again, that's when it ventures into cyberbullying territory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it can go to extremes. And I think that's actually kind of a disservice to to the cause if those folks then start, you know, attacking someone who's maybe said something wrong. Yeah, and as consumers, how can we tell when a brand is really walking the walk versus just engaging in performative activism? Because you talked about how some brands posted a black square and the next day they're going back to business as usual. So what should consumers watch out for? What should consumers look out for? Are there any red flags? Yeah, so what would you recommend in terms of really trying to figure out which companies you want to support and are aligned with your values? I think this is where folks can really put their allyship into action by, you know, not just taking what the company says at face value, but actually doing a bit of their own research. For example, you could check on Glassdoor or any other of those websites that former employees provide reviews, like have folks been going on there and saying, you know, this was a really racist place to work. Or also just like reading the comments on social media, that's one of the main ways that I've discovered which companies are worth supporting and which aren't because, you know, they post some solidarity message, but then you look in the comments and it's people who work there or have previously worked there saying, hmm, that wasn't my experience or like, I'm not sure I believe this statement. And and those are the people you can trust the most because they've had firsthand experience And not to say that you should spend too much of your time like on doing some sort of investigation, but I do think especially where we put our money can change how our society functions. And and I think that's really important for young consumers to, to acknowledge. And I also think it's a great time, regardless of whether or not an organization or company, you know, has issues. I think it's a great time to switch to consuming at this specific time, black owned businesses, but also, you know, indigenous owned and like LGBTQ owned businesses as well, because those are the businesses that will always not get their fair share of the market. So I think regardless of what you find, it's it's a great time to switch to um, supporting small local businesses. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's kind of similar in sustainable fashion too. Like I know we're not talking about it, but it's always important to just not take things at face value and you know, there's so much greenwashing in sustainable fashion. And I think it's the same thing here where people are almost using it as marketing, which sucks, but you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper and see if there's actually substance to what they're saying. And yeah, I, I love that you talked about finding founders and local businesses that are owned by marginalized folks, because that's just the best way to know that what your dollar is going towards is something you support. And as the news circuit dies down and as there's less and less social media posts online, how can we make sure we're continuing to support the Black community, continuing to educate ourselves, and make sure that this isn't just a two-week movement, but it's really something we integrate into our lives? Yeah, I think people can continue to follow activists on social media. I mean, I think one of my biggest advice to people is like, you don't have to 
radically transform your life or like you don't have to radically transform everything you do i mean unless you're like a total racist then yeah maybe you need, you do but like the average person i think all you need to do is you know maybe change up a few of the people that you follow diversify your news feed make sure you're getting news from diverse sources news from the community make sure you are finding opportunities to continue educating yourself like maybe once a month instead of reading a romance novel maybe read a memoir by a black activist or something like that i don't think people need to make radical changes because i think also that's not sustainable people need to be able to address racism in the ways that works for them so you know i've for example i've been following some folks on instagram who like this one woman she often gives advice for people on how to feed their children like when children are being picky eaters and one thing she posted was like if your child is asking questions about racism and what's going on in the world here's what you should feed them because they listen better when they eat this type of food that's her platform and she's just talking about how to feed kids like it's so simple but she's giving it a specific way that if you follow her platform which is a lot of when i looked it's a lot of like young white mums like they can be like oh wow like that's a super simple accessible way that we can talk about racism at the family dinner table so just things like that i think are so crucial and so easy to integrate conversations about racism and how it can be tackled into your daily life continuing to seek out that information and continuing to educate ourselves is so important so yeah i definitely agree with you there and my last question is, how can everyone support you and find you and stay in touch with you? I can be found at Cicely Blaine Consulting on Instagram. And also we have an account called at Stratagem Virtual on Instagram, um, which is our upcoming equity and inclusion conference. It starts on July 1st, and it's a month-long conference all about equity, inclusion, and social justice. So I'm really excited for folks to join in on that and yeah we'll we always post educational content on instagram and we do training people can find our main website at cicelyblaineconsulting.com awesome well thank you so much cicely i really appreciate it thank you for taking the time to educate us answer my questions and yeah i think there was so many nuggets of wisdom and people will take a lot away from it so thank you so much my pleasure thanks for having me And that was today's episode and interview with Cicely Blaine. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you take a screenshot of yourself listening to this episode and upload it to your Instagram stories and tag us at Recloseted and at Cicely Blaine Consulting. This is such an important discussion to continue to have and to continue to educate ourselves. So please do share it with your communities and with your networks so that we can continue to amplify and support the Black community. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and rate us five stars on your podcast platform because that really helps us get seen and get heard and then we can really spread our movement. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week.